Welcome to the Insider World Building Podcast, the place to experience life in another dimension, told from the perspective of a visitor to that dimension. I'm Fox Keys, that visitor is me, that dimension is called Dunaree, and I've lived here since I was tricked into passing through an interdimensional gateway just after my 14th birthday. So before we begin, let me get a few things just out of the way. You will notice, perhaps, that I have an Irish accent. Why, you might wonder, after all these years in another dimension, would my accent remain the same? Fear, that's why. I remember an old school friend of mine, Alan Riley, spending the summer school holidays with his cousins in London. When he returned, he had the grandest English accent you ever did hear. Two days of merciless teasing at school soon knocked that out of him. It taught me a good lesson to mind my accent. I had no plans to remain in Doonery forever. And when I returned home, I wasn't going to return home with one of these squeaky Doonery accents. Besides, after I accepted I wouldn't be going home soon, instinct told me that if I was going to survive this place, I needed to hang on to about as much about home as I could. I might live mostly in another dimension, but I'm still as Irish as a bowl of shamrock. Secondly, though I've been over 30 years in Dunaree, the dialogue and information in these podcasts is accurate. You see, I thought I'd been kidnapped. So to build evidence against my kidnappers, I wrote down everything that had happened. After I realised I'd not been kidnapped... I documented everything anyway. Thirdly, I would soon add an e-book to my website that will explain how I got to Doonery. In the meantime, the summarised version goes a bit like this. On the morning of my 14th birthday, my parents got arrested for a crime they didn't commit. While they were in prison, I got sent to live at my Uncle Peter in his big old countryside mansion called Keys Manor. Hidden beneath the mansion was an interdimensional gateway connecting Ireland to the world of Dunaree. I was tricked into passing through that gateway and when I emerged on the far side something bit me and I fell unconscious. I awoke in room zero. I call it room zero because that was my ground zero the starting point of my Dunery experience. I awoke lying on a bed that looked more like a forest, because each of its four posts rose like twisted tree trunks, and each of those twisted tree trunks was capped with clustered leaves. A middle-aged man loomed over me, his blue eyes perfectly matching his dark blue jacket and pants. He had a beard, too, dark grey like his hair. The beard was rolled and tied up like a mini carpet under his chin. Stay calm, this man said. Stay calm, I thought. I had no other choice. After making it past the interdimensional gateway keeper and the associated horrors within that gateway, my underwear was miraculously still clean. I had no spare underwear, so therefore I had no choice but stay calm. Otherwise, things were going to get very uncomfortable very quickly. 
I am Ganhook, the man said. This room is safe. The toilet across the corridor is safe. But everywhere else in my fortress wants to kill you. I laughed. Laughed long enough to make this Ganhook character frown. Fox, Ganhook said, which shocked me back to my anxious, trembling self because I'd never told him my name. What, I said. You should not be here. I know, I replied. You should have been trained for at least four years before passing through the gateway. Those words barely registered with me. It was much easier to focus on the you should not be here part because it was so obvious I shouldn't be there and I needed to be sent home right away. You have not been inoculated either, Ganhook whispered. You are like a virus to this world and now this world will try and kill you. A ball of orange light dangled from the ceiling making the silver buttons on Ganhook's coat sparkle like embers. I sat up and said Send me home, please. Impossible, Ganhook said. Too late. The curse must be fulfilled. Ganhook sighed. Rest now. I will return soon. Without another word, he left the room. Once I was sure he was gone, I piled all the furniture against the door. The second thing I did was wonder why I'd barricaded the door before I visited the bathroom because I desperately needed the pee. Worse still, like it had been glued together, the barricade wouldn't budge when I tried to dismantle it. Imprisoning myself was a new low. After that, I suppose the next thing I did was the most logical. I kicked the wall and busted my toe. Briefly, the ache in my toe outdid the ache in my bladder. To distract myself about thinking from the to- about the toilet, I focus on the room. The one window was shaped like a turtle. I found out later it was supposed to look like a human, but I'd never have guessed. It was grey outside, not a fog, more like something covering the window. And I couldn't open the window to get a better look. There were so many timber beams running through the smooth stone walls, it resembled a cage. Only it was too beautifully designed to be a cage. The beams were decorated with long lines, crisscrossed with shorter lines at different angles. It resembled Ogham, the ancient Celtic language. A wooden walking stick was propped up close to the door. It had eyes, a nose and a narrow little mouth carved onto it. It made me smile. It looked so harmless. The fire hanging from the ceiling was real fire emerging from a spout. It should have looked dangerous, but it didn't. It looked well controlled. It heated the room too. Searching for a way out, I prowled about a bit before collapsing on the bed. After a while, the barricade subsided and Ganhook reappeared. I don't know how he knew what I needed, but he held the door open and I fled across the corridor to the toilet. The windowless bathroom was panelled with beautifully polished timber. A sunken bath appeared to have been made from a great hollow log. The toilet resembled a tree stump with a bowl carved out of it. Neither bath nor toilet were timber though, but bone. 
The reddish-brown colour reminded me of the giant elk skeletons I'd seen in a natural history museum. When I stepped on the floor pedal to flush, the force of the flush would have sucked me into the toilet bowl if I hadn't grabbed the edge of the bat. When I returned, Gantig was looking out the window. My fists tightened with anger, because I knew he could see what was out there, and he was leaving me blind. I had been desperately hoping to hear some words of comfort or hope from Ganhook. Instead, he said, there are rules to know when you live here. Rule 1. Your sleeping hours are between 7pm and 7am. The bed will react to you if you attempt to use it outside these hours. The whole bed reacting to me thing went over my head. All I could think about was the time. Get up at 7am? It was outrageous. I only ever got up that early on Christmas morning. Rule number two, Ganhook continued. Believe everything you see. Everything in the compound is real and dangerous. Following this rule will help prepare you for the outside world. Hmm. Considering everything I'd seen so far in Dunery was absolutely unbelievable, I decided to take his word for this. Rule 3. Don't be afraid to be afraid. So much of this world can kill you. Always be on your guard. Right then, I was terrified of everything. It was good there was a toilet close. Rule 4. Spend an hour each morning and one hour every night studying what is outside the window. This will help your mind adjust to the rhythm of the world. Ah... <sighs> Considering I couldn't see out anyway, I figured this was one rule I could forget about for a while. As Ganthook droned on and on about rules, he began to sound like my Aunt May. Whenever my parents went away on business, I'd live with her for a few days. That one had a rule for every minute of the day. I've no idea how she remembered them all. On and on Ganthook went. No visiting lower levels. No touching things. Be grateful for every day of life. All of this information clotted in my head. I said, I can't see outside. Ganthook smiled. You are like a newborn here. Imagine the window as your eyes. It needs to open slowly. Otherwise your mind won't handle what it sees outside. I want to go home, I said. You are home, he replied. I didn't know what to say to that, so I sat in the bed and stared at the floor. Ganhook sighed. You may have missed the training, but at least you learn from the best in Dunery. Steincat will be your tutor. Steincat, I said. Like a real cat? A special cat. Blessed with 999 lives. She has nine hundred and something left. I'm not exactly sure how many. She's secretive. Her ghosts will teach you. When I heard this, I think my mind came close to collapsing. Ganhook frowned. Are you feeling all right? I'm fine. I'm great. I am whatever. You don't look all right. Would you be? I snapped. After all I've been through, I... Raising his palms towards me, Ganhook said, 
Sighing Cat is a curious cat. Every time she lost a life, it was from exploring something dangerous. That's how she learned. Who better to teach you about the danger of this world than her? I really, really couldn't get my head around that. Apart from Aunt May's marmalade cat, Whiskers, I didn't know any cats. Whiskers hated everyone anyway, so I didn't really know him that well either. If you had been trained before you wandered through the gateway, Ganhook began. I was tricked, I shouted, suddenly angry at Ganhook because he was the closest thing I had to be angry at. What training? Like he wanted to be somewhere else, Ganhook sighed again. He was sighing an awful lot and it didn't do my mood much good. He said, did the last dawn hunter not tell you about this place? No. No. What dawn hunter? Well, Ganhook said, you are here now. We can't do anything about that. And instead of spending years preparing for your duties here, you've got weeks. What training, I repeated. Every kind of training. Ganhook took a bottle from his pocket and sipped something from it. A fruity smell filled the air. The smell calmed me. Please, I said. I need to go home. I remember my throat tightened when I said that. I remembered wanting to blurt out the whole story to this stranger. Only, I had a feeling he knew the story already. I said, my parents are in prison. It was then that I noticed some dark bread and a glass of water on the bedside table. Prison food, of course. I pointed at it and said, So now am I in prison? A tiny smile flickered across Ganhook's face. You are in quarantine. If you eat our food and you may become ill, you need to acclimatise, build immunity to this world. You need to be inoculated against some diseases. And you need not be able to spread diseases. You're aware of the conquistador's impact on South America. I was. I knew when the Spanish invaded South America, they brought European diseases with them and millions died. What bothered me was, how did Ganhook know about it? To this day, I have never felt such isolation, anger and despair as I felt that first night in Room Zero. It felt like the dust specks in the air had more value to this world than I had. Mostly, though, I felt shame at being so easily tricked into passing through the gateway. I had planned to help my parents get out of prison. Instead, I had failed them. So, that was my first day in Dunaree. But how can I put this experience into context that might help others to world build? For now, I'll focus on Rune Zero. Yes, I have lots of stories about dead cats and Dunaree rules, but I'd only confuse myself if I tried to cram them in today. Plenty of time for those in future episodes. Although I didn't realise it at the time, Ganhook's plan to use Room Zero as a starting point for my education was a clever one. You see, had I been exposed to even a fraction of Dunaree back then, I'd have gone utterly, completely loopy. For my mind to cope with Dunaree, I needed to be introduced to it very, very slowly. By keeping me in Room Zero, that's what Ganhook was doing. 
This was, in effect, a form of world building to help me accept things. I needed a starting point. A place to look out at Doonery from. Room Zero was my starting point. Everything in it was designed to stimulate my imagination and hint at things that might be outside. The fireball suggested a power source. The crazy bed suggested magic. Well, actually, everything in that room suggested magic. But anyway, the beautiful furniture and wall panelling suggested I was in a safe place. The cloudy window made me wonder what was outside without seeing through it. The walking staff with the crazy face had the most meaning of all. But you'll hear lots more about that walking staff in future. Lots, lots more. The most important thing I learned about world building was that, if you try to do it all in one go, you may well end up in a muddle. But if you find your own room zero, you will have a core starting point to build your world out from. Start your world building small. Compartmentalise it. This forces you to think about details. Details are the keys to creating a new world. There is countless world building advice online. Create a political structure, draw a map, introduce religion, talk about cities, explain the dangers, etc. etc. Of course you may need all these things, but do you need them in the beginning? Is it not better to have a simple foundation to work from? Where do you start? Ask yourself this. If you visit a foreign country, do you research their political, financial, military or religious frameworks first? Probably not. You'll want to experience the sights and the culture, the food and what not. That's where the initial, memorable details lie. Yes, it's true that the political, financial and all the rest play a big role in countless stories. But when you begin building your world... Build it from the bottom up. Train your imagination to create the details that can exist nowhere else. And your imagination will take care of the bigger stuff in time. That's what Ganhub did with me. To get an idea about the bigger things outside, I had to get used to the little details first. To begin world building, perhaps you need a room zero. Your room zero doesn't have to be a room at all. It could be a shed, or a forest clearing, or whatever you'd like to start your world. But, for a fun exercise, let's just pretend it is a room for now. Go into a preferably windowless room, take four post-its with you, and stick them around the room. Then, try and imagine you're in room zero of your special world, and that those four post-its represent four unique items only found in your world. More than likely you will already have plenty of ideas about your world. Use the post-its to take notes on each imagined item. Perhaps it's a picture of a creature, or a famous occasion, or some artwork that represents something in your world. If you want to imagine a monster, just scribble your dog's face onto a post-it. If your drawing skills are anything like mine, your dog will surely resemble some terrible or comic monster. And if you don't immediately imagine new things, stick the post-its 
onto existing things. Example, put one on a chair and then imagine what that chair might look like in your world. What could it be made out of? Where does the material come from? Who makes it? Or stick a post-it onto the door and imagine the door has some special attributes. A unique lock? A protective spell? Or some unusual type of timber? It doesn't really matter what you imagine, write or scribble, nor does it matter if you ultimately use it in your world. The exercise is more about developing your imagination from a within a very constrained area. And it's also about training yourself to think differently about what another world may look like. What tiny details can you imagine that will start to transform your room zero into a perfect foundation for your world? Little details breed bigger details, and bigger details breed original worlds. Of course, this applies to any kind of world building, from high fantasy to the world of a fictional character who lives in a modern-day city, town or farm. That is my take on world building for this week. To round off the show, we come to the strange but true segment. Of course, Everything here is strange but true. I will focus on more day-to-day stuff, though, to give you an idea of how people behave in the oddest ways. Back in Ireland, my cousin Ashleen had given me a copy of Lord of the Rings for my 14th birthday. It ended up in my backpack when I passed through the gateway, and I was glad of it. It was the only entertainment I had from back home, and in a crazy sort of way, learning about Middle-earth Help me learn about this place. The book had a picture of Gandalf on the front. When Ganhook saw this, he borrowed the book, saying he was interested in learning about other worlds. I thought no more of it, until Ganhook turned up one day wearing a flowing grey robe, a crooked hat, and with his beard unrolled down to his waist. In a world filled with the most bizarre things, This was the last thing I expected. He looked good though. The resemblance to Gandalf was so complete, he'd have made a fortune as a Gandalf impersonator on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. So why did Ganhook dress this way? Well, he is a fifth level Levun master. This means he's got the highest skills to manipulate Levun, the main Dunari power source. This gives him great power and great status. So, I can only assume he wanted a new, impressive look, something that hadn't been seen in Dunery before. Of course, he won't admit this. Yet, considering he only dresses this way when he's receiving important guests, I can't think of any other reason. Yes, it is strange. It is also very, very true. That's it for now. I hope you've enjoyed the show. And if you got a laugh, an idea, or a nugget of information from it, please share this podcast with somebody you know who might enjoy it. And please subscribe to my podcast too, so you don't miss future episodes. Next time, I will describe how I met the first of Steincat's many ghosts. Until then, goodbye. Or as we say in Dunery, Breivik.